Matt Stepp, is it true that for Canadian Thanksgiving, you just put maple syrup on everything? Mm, what's wrong with maple syrup? Tep and Step, your premium Texas high school football podcast from your friends here at Dave Campbell's Texas Football and TexasFootball.com. I am the Tep, Greg Tepper in America. And I am the Step, Matt Step, not in America right now. Oh my gosh. We're an international podcast. Yes. What's up? You, you, you didn't realize, a DCTF subscriber, that you would get premium international podcasts when you signed up. But gosh darn it, Dave, Dave Campbell's Texas football is international now. This is this is big. This is uh, I got to be honest. This feels monumental for us to be um, crossing the border. I know to we, go. We're just we're just violating all kinds of treaties and 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 Na- I'm sure there's a NAFTA violation in there. It's it's just there's got to be. Yeah, but you know Adam Hockfeld or he doesn't care about NAFTA. The the trade the trade commission is going to come knocking yeah. on our door. Um, I think it's our second right. international tip and step. Ironically, but you know we're not going. We don't care about oh, last year anymore. Okay. Last year feels like seven years ago. Yeah, ain't that the truth. All right, so a lot to get to on this, your week eight preview edition of Tep and Step, your premium Texas high school football uh, podcast. We appreciate you being a Dave Campbell's Texas football insider. Uh, Please tell your friends about this. We've got a lot to get to, including, you know, we'll just kind of talk about stuff, plus our game draft, uh, our Mm -hmm. game draft, where we will go through and select the games that uh, uh, will uh, inevitably be proven yeah, the things that matter. Uh, mm-hmm, although yeah. I'm just really interested to see which, how long our podcast lasts before it's out of date. That's that's what's going to be fun about this. That's one. a fun new game, right? Yeah. Which which the one? Fun. Yeah. So it's so which it's three fourteen. It's three fourteen p.m. Okay, so we'll probably be done with this. Let's say four thirty. Let's say four thirty. How much longer after four thirty will we get before? This game, this this is out. One of, of the games we've talked about gets canceled or postponed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, we'll get to all of that. But first, Matthew, we will start as we always do with your Texas high school football fun fact of the week. Matt Stapp, last week, he's up for Mister Texas Football Player of the Week, but Trey Harden, the receiver for Montgomery, mm-hmm. uh, 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 caught. Nine, I think it's nine passes. I think I have it somewhere. Nine I know he had for 300, 382 and three touchdowns. Nine for 382 and three touchdowns. That's 300, a, that's, he averaged like 40 yards a catch. That is, that is, this will not surprise you, but this is the most, that's the most receiving yards by a Texas high school football player this season mm-hmm. uh, in a game. Trey Harden, he in fact broke Zach Woods' 2020 record for Panhandle, who did it the week before. Um, so... But it is not the all-time record. In fact, it is, believe it or not, uh, like 70 yards shy of the record. Matt Stepp, do you remember who holds the single-game receiving record? It wasn't that long ago, I know, but I cannot for the life of me. And I, it's probably a small school kid, but I, I can't. Believe it or not, if I let me make sure I got this right. I am fairly certain that this is a, um, a 6A kid. Wow. Okay. Okay. No, Let me I, make I sure of this before guy. I. It's at least it is at least a five A. Okay. Uh, no, it's a six A. 
Wow. It's a 6A kid. Uh, wait, did I get that right? Yeah, it's 6A kid. Matt Stepp, the single-game receiving yards uh, record holder in the 11, 11, UIL 11, man, is Mark Lozoya from Laredo Alexander. Okay. Who, okay. who had 454 yards receiving again in a win, I presume a win, over Eagle Pass win in 2013. Mark Lozoya, holding on to that record. Uh, that was that's, the same year. That's like three seasons worth of receiving yards for a slot T team, probably. Yes, th- like for the whole team. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He did that. What's funny, you know what's really funny that like, if you go if you go and you look at like I I, I just think and this is not a this is not a knock on um Texas high school football um you know like like guys who break the record. It's not a knock on them. But like as you go down career to season to game, it does seem to get more random. Oh like, yeah. The okay, so like the, the all time leading the all time leading receiver in Texas high school football history is Marvin Mims. Okay. Marvin Mims, our Mr. Texas football player of the year, blah, 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 all that fun stuff. OK, season. So like season, it's still a lot of guys. Marvin Mims is up there. Uh, Cody Cardwell from from Stephenville. Philip Beck from Crosby. Uh, well, this and that. This and that. Trent, uh, Trent David Dixon's up there. Stuff like that. But then like you look at like the guys who caught 350 yards worth and more or more in a game. And like, I just don't think the average Texas high school football fan is going to have heard of Addison Bustos from <laughs> Amarillo Caprock. Yeah. Uh, or or Logan Mann from San Antonio Stevens. I remember that kid. Um, I, I remember the things, kid from Caprock because they, they yeah. had an offense there for a couple of years. They were putting up. That was crazy. Points. Yeah. Bustos anyway, was there's your t- 20, 2016, 2017, right? Bustos was 2012, believe it or not. You're old. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry, so there it is your Texas high school football fun fact of the week. All so right, good. Matthew. Let's take a look at week seven. And. It would be. Hey, how was your week last week, Matt? It sucked. <laughs> it sucked. Like, like, like Wednesday night when when the cancellations, like, like Monday and Tuesday, it was you know it was pretty quiet, and I was like, oh okay, maybe we're things are maybe things aren't aren't just completely going off the rails, and then about man. One right after lunch Wednesday, man, oh, it just went to hell in a handbasket. And by Wednesday night, I was just like, man, this really sucks. Like all these games are getting canceled, and it's just, it was just, it was depressing. And and you know, we have an we we are in in essence a journalistic uh, outlet. We do um mm-hmm. we do try to practice journalism at some point. And so I mean, we have to report report it, but it wasn't fun. Uh, it, it really it was it it was a downer for real. And uh. I didn't enjoy it, and I'm hoping this week is better. Um, we're we're not off to a rip roar and start with some of the games being canceled, but hopefully it's just a few games. But you know, it is what it is, and uh, you know, hopefully this week maybe we can see incremental yeah. improvement. But it, it wasn't fun until no. thir- and it got better Thursday night when the games actually were being played. You know, it's kind of like you know the slog Monday, <laughs> Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then you you know you kind of get to Thursday about five o'clock and 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 if there are cancellations they're few and far between and then you're actually getting it's it's this weird mind trick right where you you know Thursday night you're like oh there's games being played let's look at all the scores and you kind of forget a little yeah. temporarily about all the cancellations and you focus on the good so I think it's just kind of a mind trick I have to do and and, and it's just it's just it is what it is in 2020 and and. And like I know I've said on the show and you've said on the show, you know, I'm just going to try to appreciate the games that are played 
and uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna we have an obligation to report on the games that aren't played um, and let people know about it. But but yeah. in order to kind of, for my own sanity, I think I've just got to kind of focus on the games that are played and enjoy enjoy the enjoy the the, the what we do have. It was just like it was just, like it was a bummer. Yeah. It was a bummer like last week and. It was. It, and because, like, if you didn't hear, like, basically, we ended up kind of calculating that for, and this is based on like UIL 11 man games. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, UIL 11 man games. I can't speak on private school games. I know Granger Huntress is working on a piece. Six man's been hit hard, man. Yeah. Been hit you real get, hard. You know, you get three or four kids in six man getting, getting COVID and, and they're quarantined. Yeah. And you contact Trace, you can lose a team real quick. Yeah. You can't do that. And so they've been hit really hard. Um, but last week we we um, estimate that it's somewhere in the range of ten to twelve percent of UIL eleven man games that got impacted, and I think I, I think maybe you agree with this. If this is the worst that it gets, right? If it's if this is the worst that it gets, then it's like okay, uh, not great. Like by all means, not great. But we can grit our teeth and we can power through. Yeah, we can survive it. We yeah. Yeah. But I'll be honest, if the trajectory continues, we're in trouble. Like that's the bo- the bottom line of it is that like we can't like last week was probably about uh, like it was an escalation. And if we continue to escalate at that pace, like I'm not saying they're going to shut down the season. There's no indication from the UIL that they're going to shut down the season. But what you're going to end up happening is you will very quickly. I'm I'm not worried about the UIL shutting down the season. What I'm worried about is this season getting to the point where it's like a farce. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I I, I agree. I, I don't think the UIL would shut the season down unless Governor Abbott stepped in and said no more. I think yeah. that's the. But at some point, let's you know if it gets bad where like multiple like playoff games and and really state title caliber teams are forfeiting playoff games and or if districts races only have like two games that are played you know from each team and it's it's supposed to be everybody's supposed to play seven or eight games right and they're having to figure out playoff spots based on really truncated district schedules i think that's where some of the integrity of the season gets lost at that point yeah um, right. And I know some DECs have put in some minimum standards for number of games to be played and things like that. So, I mean, I'm all, you know I, I understand that not every district is going probably going to be able to play a full schedule. You know, there's going to be some districts where some teams play five games, some teams play four, that kind of thing. But you know, you know, you, what you don't want to see is is we get to the playoffs and the brackets are done, and then you know, you know, a dozen teams have to forfeit in the by district round of the playoffs because they just can't field a team. And then it's going to be like, well, what's, you know, what are we doing here? So what are we doing at that point? Yeah. So that's a concern yeah. for sure. But, um, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully yeah. that we can, you know, you know, we're well, just kind of hoping here at this point. I mean, there's really not much else to say. We all, I mean, we all know kind of yeah. what the, what the deal is with the virus and, and how it yeah. goes. So kind of know the score. Yeah. And the other thing is for me, it like, like, I, I just like, I really want to put a kind of fine point on it is that, um, this is a this is this is a many tentacled situation and it's 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 problematic in a lot of different ways most notably in that like there you know we we want to see these games happen we want to see games go go off uh, without a hitch 
But I think that what's really waking people up, and I think the reason this week struck a chord with a lot of people, is that a lot of brand names were out, like a lot of big names. And and so I can sit here and I can tell you that, hey, 10 to 12% of the UIL 11-man games were either postponed or canceled last week. And like that shakes me, but like... There is another segment of the population who all they hear is, hey, Alan Cedar Hill got canceled. Mm-hmm. And that's the one they go, oh, my gosh, wait, wow, like that's a that's a big deal. And so it's 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 kind of a little bit of it's going to it's, it's a little bit of both. And unfortunately, they both came together last week. Yeah. Yeah. You had Alan Cedar Hill. You had uh, El Paso Americas and El Paso Eastlake, which is a big game in El Paso. Uh, Prosper, Prosper and DeSoto, mm-hmm. uh, Tascacita and Klein Oak was supposed to be a big game. Um, uh, know, Foster and Peyto, I was really yeah, looking forward to. Yeah, that, that got postponed. That's not that, that got postponed. Uh, uh, Shadow Creek and I think Ailey Taylor, which especially Shadow Creek's district, district uh, opener, got postponed. Uh, Mart Bremon, yeah, Mart Bremon, Pflugerville Weiss, Round Rock, Cedar Ridge had their games canceled. So it was it was across the state. It wasn't just it was, isolated. It was bad. In, in, it was know, bad in one area. You know what? The one thing I will say on the positive front mm-hmm. uh, is one of the hardest hit areas of the state with COVID was, was like corporate. I mean, obviously the Rio Grande Valley was hit very hard. Mm-hmm. Corpus Christi was hit very hard as well. Haven't heard too much from Corpus about games being canceled. Yeah. I, you know, that, and Hey, let me, let me draw a totally unscientific, completely unproven correlation here. You know what? Every time I see photos of the stands in Corpus, they are, they are the model of social distancing right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. like they all it's like almost beautiful when you look at it it's like you just have like these all like stacked pods and stuff like that of people like separate and stuff and i'm like yes that's what we need you know you um, they were hit so hard with it that they take yeah. it extra seriously and, and they're fought you know everybody's following the guidelines to a t because yeah uh they were hit really hard but you're absolutely right yeah. you know, I, I, it's it's a weird sidebar to that right i mean they were hit yeah. you know corporate you know in the rio Grande valley has yeah. slowly started back up. This next week, the twenty the week of the twenty second, twenty third, will be the first real full week of the valley. Um, it's mm-hmm. about a, it's about a half week this week, so there. So it'll be interesting to see how things go down in the valley as well, because that was obviously yeah. the hardest hit area in the state. Yeah. Um, okay. As far as on the field is concerned, because um, there were games, believe it or not, there were games there were, <laughs> last you know, week. Uh, and some eighty eight to ninety percent. Yeah, but you know, one of the things that I thought was was interesting is that um, I thought you had um, some really critical district games go down in ways that we didn't we didn't necessarily see coming. For example, uh, I'll just I mean I'll just call. I thought eight five a division one got thrown into the wood chipper this week. Yeah, um, with the Magnolia schools knocking off Lufkin and College Station. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was one that really stood out to me as like, whoa, okay, like uh, they've taken control of that. By the way, like and then like for example, one of the games we were really excited about was Lano and Comfort. Not to continue to kiss Pickles' rear end, man. But she's she's just, man, she's walking around just like like gosh, a peacock right now, man. She's puffing just, her chest. I know she, she slammed you up in the wall, up against the wall and demanded Lano be ranked number one in the state. Of I know she like grabbed and I was like scruff of your neck and was like, look, Tepper. You know, number one in the state. She's so strong. But uh, yeah, but they get their big win over comfort. Um, It was like there were some districts that started to even even at this. I don't know if it's early. I don't know if it's late. I don't know how to define time at this point. But at this point, 
<laughs> but at this point in the season, you did get some districts that kind of got turned upside down. And I just, I know I'm the guy that if you watch TFT, you're just going to hear me hammer this home. I thought that people need to pay attention to 266A. Okay. Like, and it's a lot more than just the Westlake Lake Travis game. Okay. Which is, I think is a, a Thanksgiving. Um, it's a lot more than that. Specifically, keep an eye on Bowie and Del Valley because one of those teams has to make the playoffs if if um if Westlake's going to go to the D2 bracket because if they don't if they don't if they go to the D1 bracket all hell breaks loose. Yeah, yeah, Division 2 uh, by the way, that was that was my hipster game. By the way, um, but that's okay. I'll find one. <laughs> yeah, ruined it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, that we we did not even t- we we talked more about Katie going Division Two this off season than Westlake going Division One. Mm-hmm. And I think now looking at it, Westlake going Division One is a is a I would say at minimum a 50-50 possibility because mm-hmm. Austin High now already has the head up win against Bowie. You know, Hay is consolidated, and there's, you know, under Les Goad ha- has basically been the third best team in that district the last couple of years. And you know, you just never know what you're you're going to get from San Marcos. So, I-, I think it's a real good possibility that 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 Bowie and Del, Va- Del Valley miss the playoffs now. Um, okay, and and by the way, I did want to bring up one other thing. Um, you do have to tell the story about what happened in Kennedale on Friday night, because. There is nothing. Uh, there is nothing that encapsulates 2020, I think, better than that. So, Kennedale had been looking for a game for the for last week for about two weeks. Um, and they're a very good team, and Coach Barrett um, runs the wing tee offense. And people just aren't really lining up to play the wing tee if they don't have to. And mm-hmm. especially bigger schools who could conceivably lose to Kennedale. Um and so, but it was really, it got to the point, I think, Wednesday afternoon where Coach Barrett had pretty much given up and just said, you know what, we're just going to, if I don't hear from anyone by four o'clock, we're just going to um, move on and get start getting ready for Bembrook this week. That's a, that's a big game for us in our district. Well, huh? 3.30, Carrie Lane from Longview Pine Tree calls up and says, hey, Coach, you know, we'll, we'll come to Kennedale. We'll play you uh, Friday night. You know, Pine Tree was supposed to be off last week, but they're, and playing this week against Wiley East. But Wiley East um, has has COVID, and so they are mm-hmm. unable to play. So Pine Tree decided, you know what, if we're going to play, let's just play now and have our bye before district. So Pine Tree on Wednesday afternoon agrees to come to Kennedale and play at Kennedale when, uh, Friday night. So Pine Tree. Cool. Yeah, great. It's awesome. You know, got, a, got a, a unique little interesting game set up here. Well, Pine Tree, t- you know, travels 150 miles west through Dallas on a Friday, you know, Longview to Kennedale, for those of you who don't know, is, is in Tarrant County right outside of Fort Worth. Um, so you have to drive through Dallas to get to Kennedale. Mm-hmm. Um, and Friday at 5 o'clock, it's not, not a fun drive at times, that kind of thing. Pine Tree shows up. They play till about 54 minutes, 54 seconds left in the first half, and it's 10 to 10. Good ball mm-hmm. game. Kennedale's getting exactly what they wanted. They wanted a test. They wanted to, to, to have a tough test, and they were getting it. It was 10 to 10 at the, right before half. And then the power in the stadium goes out. <laughs> oh, God. I promise I'm not laughing at them. I promise. Yeah. They wait a while, and I guess they just decided power's not going to be on anytime soon. And so after playing basically one half of football, Pine Tree gets on the bus and heads back to Longview. And it was 10 to 10, and it was just it just summed up 2020 in, in essence. Coach Barrett texted me and was like, you know, thanks for helping set the game up. He was like, it was it – was, 
He goes, it was good while it lasted. And I was like, well, <laughs> I hope that's not the 2020 football season as well. I hope we can get through it all because it was good while it lasted. <sighs> it's not the, not the comment you want to hear, but alas, yeah. alas, what can you do? Yeah, that was, I saw that tweet and I was just, I just laughed. I just laughed out it, loud. It's summed up commercial break. It really was. Yeah. I was, right. I was fairly lucid on Friday night because I, st- I stayed up all night Friday because before my late, uh, late flight and early flight. Oh, that's right. Morning, so, yeah. yeah, it was a fun night. But, all right. Let's get to our week eight draft. Welcome into the week eight draft where we're going to draft these games that as of 3.33 p.m., we have not had confirmation that they're canceled, so we're going to pick them. Um, Games that we are most interested in uh, in week eight of the Texas high school football season, if this is your first episode, every game in the state is eligible. Uh, Whatever, when a game is draft, we go back and forth picking games. When a game is picked, it is off the board. We did a coin flip before the game or before the show. Step one, the coin flip. So he gets pick one one in a week that um it's pretty good i think it's a pretty good week i think it's actually you know what i think it's a pretty good week in the small school ranks yes there's a lot of really good small school games this week like you know so so since i'm in canada i'm not obviously not going to be at a game this week any games Mm -hmm. this weekend so you don't have to worry about me telling you which games i'm going to this week uh, but I will be watching games online, and so it's it's I'm trying to collect some of the games that, that I can watch, and there's a lot of good options in the small schools. Yes, so, I, I, so I'm excited about that. What is your first pick of the draft? Well, Greg, I'm going to go with a small school game since we're we're talking small school football. Let's 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 do it, and let's go uh, let's go down to Corpus Christi, beautiful Corpus Christi, in the three six one for a game that's been talked about for quite a while now the last let's say about the last year people have been asking for asking for this game in Corpus Christi and it's happening in district play in district 15 4A division 1 as Cal Allen takes on Miller in a mm-hmm. massive massive district contest which is going to have um obviously district title implications potentially um I think Calhoun is going to have something to say about that but the winner uh, of this game definitely um, has taken the first step towards uh, that district title. These two teams have identical four and two records and one and zero in district. However, Cal Allen, I think their two losses um, for me, you know, they, they've got two better, they've got two quality losses uh, losing mm-hmm. to Cornerstone and La Vega. Miller has a quality loss to veterans Memorial. Obviously there's no shame in losing that ball game, but the, the loss to Rockport Fulton, which is for a division two team still is a little bit, that's the one that makes me question Miller a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, you, you've got this classic matchup of, of contrasting styles offensively, right? Cal Allen is, is grinded out, run the ball, control the clock, beat you up. Um, and Miller is let's go four and five wide. Let's sling it around. Let's have fun. And, and, and both of them do, they do what they do very well. Um, Cal Allen, to me, the difference here is is they've got the multiple weapons with with uh, Jeremiah Earls, Marvin Beasley, Tarek Hickman, um, mm-hmm. Epi Hinojosa. All can you know? There's it, Cal Allen's got three or four guys that can run for a hundred yards at any moment. Um, Miller, you know, quarterback Andrew Bodie. Um, they've got great great receiving core as well. Um, you know, they even got the running game going last week with Ethan Ethan Greenwood. The difference here is the defenses. Cal Allen's mm-hmm. defense, I think, is, is far superior to Miller's defense based on what we've seen through six games this year for these two teams. Um, Miller's defense has a lot to prove. And they and even last year when they went 12-1 and in 5A Division I, um, they had to get into a few shootouts to win some games. And I just don't see them luring Phil Danaher and Cal Allen into a shootout. 
I think if they do that, I think they can win the game because that's not what Cal Allen wants to do. But Cal Allen's played so many of these games against teams with these high-powered, high-flying offenses, and Cal Allen always seems to drag them down <laughs> into mm-hmm. a street fight, into a game that's in the 20s, and, and Cal Allen you know, just kind of mucks it up and goes on these 16-play drives and holds onto the ball for eight or nine minutes and just frustrates the hell out of you. Mm-hmm. That's what Cal Allen does, and they're so good at it. And, I, and another thing that I look at is, is Cal Allen – you know, there's been challengers to Cal Allen that have come up in the area in the past that have kind of popped their heads up. You know, Flower Bluff's popped up a few times, even beaten Kyle Allen a time or two. Alice has popped up a few times. Calhoun has popped up a few times. Now this is Miller's chance who's popping up to try to, uh, you know, in you know try to try to put make their mark on Corpus Christi football. And Cal Allen most of the time seems to get the best. They've just been dominant for so long in Corpus. It's hard to pick against Phil Danaher and the Wildcats in this game. I just – I can't yeah. see a team with that like Miller that has been so average at best on defense beating a team like Cal. That's the thing is is if this were a different team that they're going up against if you like if you were to basically show me these two resumes blind uh I would say yeah okay the team that would end up being you know um uh, Cal Allen I'd be like I'd probably lean towards them a little bit but at the same time like the other teams definitely got a great shot. Um, if they can, if they can trick them, if they can get them to play their game, but, but no, like you do not get Cal Allen to play anybody else's game. Like they, they impose their will on you. That's what happens like yeah. every single time. <laughs> like I remember, you know, it, the perfect example of that was that state title game a couple of years ago when they were playing Alito. We just all yep. thought Alito was just going to murder him. Mm-hmm. And they, they, impo- Cal Allen, they didn't win the game, but they imposed their will on Alito and made Alito beat them at their game at a game they didn't want to play. That's just what they, they excel at it. And it's, it's a, it's, it's incredible what Cal, and I've seen it time. And it's not something that's just happened the past couple of years. I remember in 2014, they played Manville in the, in the regional, in the state semifinals and Manville mm-hmm. was heavily favored and they, they lured Manville into, into that kind of game. So they, they just find a way to do it all the time. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's an excellent choice. And what I think is interesting is this is kind of a 15, four, a division one, like, uh, district title semifinal game, um, in my mind, that like the winner of this game, like then it's like them versus Calhoun. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now they could all kind of th- all three kind of beat up on each other and like you know it, everybody could enter the playoffs with a loss or something like that. That's entirely possible. But in a lot of ways, the winner of this game is going to be the chief challenger to like that's that's then they get Calhoun. And then yeah. that game will probably determine the district championship. So, well, unless um, Calhoun, but I mean, I could, I could see a scenario where they all kind of all three split against each other too. Yeah, exactly. I, I could see I, that too. Then, the, then the district title because they're all pretty, pretty evenly matched. I think yeah. so too. I, 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 you know, my edge is to Cal Allen because they've got the pedigree, and I just it's hard for me to. Tr- I don't trust Miller in that defense mm-hmm. at the moment. They, they got to prove me wrong. That's a good pick. All right, I'm gonna go to the Houston area, Matthew, for my pick. And Matt, I want to take you back in time. I want to take you way back in time, all the way back to November 8th of 2008. What were you doing on November in November 8th of 2008? Huh. I'm pretty like- sure I had just started working at the Dallas Morning News. Uh, that um, was probably, that's my wife's birthday. 
So um, had we, uh-huh. we had, I think we we weren't married yet, but we were engaged. I so probably, I was probably doing something with my lovely wife. Uh, that sounds like a good call. Um, I was not married yet. I was not engaged yet. Um, this was the t- the day that Katie Cinco Ranch beat Katie. 27 to 21 in a th- overtime thriller at road stadium mm-hmm. uh cinco ranch led by a, a great quarterbacking performance from shane ross um they they ran the ball well with uh, with adam hertz uh it's a good team good team that was good a team. good cinco ranch team good cinco ranch team uh since then matthew katie has rattled off 73 consecutive district wins uh they have not lost since that date uh, in District fact, no, play. let me update that. It is now 74 because they won. They beat, I think, Maid Creek last week. Oh, yeah, or, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I should yeah. update my article. Um. Uh, 74 consecutive uh, games since then. So, Matt Step, let's find out what happens then because this is a big test, and every year we have the conversation, can anybody beat Katie in District? Well, here is the chance. at It is going to go down, uh, I believe, is that Rhodes? I presume it's at Rhodes. No, I think it'll be at oh, the, the new Legacy. place. Legacy. Legacy. Right. Thursday night game, uh, too. A Thursday night affair between Katie and Katie Tompkins. Now, Katie uh, destroyed Seven Lakes last week. That is not a surprise. No. Um, this was a team that we had some questions about because they kind of lost their best, their quarterback and their running back. Like, uh, so if you didn't hear, Bronson McClelland is no longer at Katie. Uh, he's not, he, he's, yeah, he's not playing. Um, and then they had that running back, Brandon Campbell, Campbell. Thank you. Yeah. Brandon Campbell, who transferred in and he more or less, I think opted out of the season. Yes. He opted out. Yeah. He's a commit to uh, USC. Yes. And so, and so, uh, they were left with sophomores and obviously very much struggled out of the gates in their district play. Uh, as Seth Davis ran for 217 yards and four touchdowns, Caleb Coger threw four touchdown passes and the defense did its part and they manhandled seven legs. Uh, Katie looked just fine without those two stars. The, the last two weeks they've been like, the, cause they, they Molly watched Cy Woods the week before. Yes. And that's a good, that's not a bad Cy Woods team. That's, that's a playoff type no. team. And they, and they, Threw up a 60-burger on them. Yes. The offense has looked good. The offense has looked very, very good. Looked like they have not missed them. Well, now they're going up against Katie Tompkins. And Katie Tompkins, um, well, the offense, I will say, it got in gear last week. It got in gear last week. They had kind of scuffled a little bit out of the gates offensively, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. but they got they hit the gas last week against Cinco. Uh, Jalen Milrow, they ran the ball well with Marquis Shoulders. I think they were up, like, what, 49 nothing at half? Yeah. I mean, yes. they were... They were yeah. dominant. Sherman Smith Absolutely and Marquis Shoulders are a great duo. Jalen Milrow. Yeah, I, I saw I saw Tompkins two weeks ago um, against mm-hmm. Clear Springs, and you know, in Clear Springs, that, that's a good Clear Springs team. That, that that they're the ones who gave Katie all the trouble in the first game, um, mm-hmm. and Tompkins won a def- it was ten to seven. It was a it was a just a defensive gross game. You know, not gross, but yeah. just, you know, it was a nasty kind of hard fought defensive game. So yes. um, Tompkins getting their offense going is, is a good sign because their defense has been their, their defense has been really, really good. Yes, it absolutely has. And so the Tomp offense kind of got in gear uh, last week in Cinco Ranch. Again, not necessarily a surprise. Well, here is like the big question in this one. The big headline matchup here is going to be the 
Tom, it's Jalen Milrow in this Tompkins offense. If it has in fact gotten into gear against uh, the KD defense, which has just been, it's been the KD defense. It's what you come to expect from them. I mean, last week in seven lakes, they were dominating a couple weeks before that they played Cy Woods and they held them to 21. A lot of those were in garbage time. I yeah, mean, I all 21 was in garbage. Yeah. Like, I think the game was 40, 42, nothing at halftime. So that 21 points is pretty inconsequential. In but I, I also think it is fair to say that this is the biggest test for the defense yet. Um, in, in jail Milrow. The other side is interesting too, because um, this is, I think that you take a look at the, at the, at the Katie offense. And I think that, you know, maybe aside from clear Springs in the opener in their opening week, win, um, this is going to be a, a step up in competition a step up in competition. I don't For think sure. they're going to be able to go out there and just and just just run free in like they have done in the last couple of weeks against Cywoods and Seven Lakes. So, it's a big test for a young Katie offense that if they have to feel like they have to go punch for punch with a much more experienced, senior-laden Tompkins squad, this game could get interesting. Now, look, I ain't picking against a 40 a 73 game or 74 game winning streak in district. I am picking against it. Uh, I also think Katie looks the part of of a, a bona fide state championship contender, but I do think this game could get hairy. I think this game could get real interesting, depending on how things shake out. Depending, especially, I think a big a big key to this game is can Tompkins jump out early? Yeah, can Tompkins play from behind and put that young Katie offense behind the eight ball and make them get out? Because Kate, Katie Katie is going to. Their bread and butter is running the football, play action passing, yeah. running the football. They don't want to get put into obvious passing downs, especially with the sophomore quarterback. They want yes. when they when they throw they want to throw when when they, when they want to throw and not when they're forced to throw. Um, I think that's a big key. And this Tompkins defense, you know, they've only given up seven. They've really given up no points the last two games. You know, Clear Springs yeah. seven points came on a kickoff return for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. And another thing to keep in mind in this game is Katie has had. Kate, Katie's in the head of, of pretty much everyone in Katie ISD. There's no, yes. I, I don't think there's any question about that. When Katie steps on the field, it's 14 nothing before the game even starts. I mm-hmm. don't think they're in Tompkins' head. Um, Tompkins played them close last year. It was a 35 30 ball game. The different, the key was last year, Tompkins dug themselves a big early hole. Katie raced out, I believe, to a 21 nothing lead. Tompkins fought back and made it a close game in the fourth quarter, but they dug themselves a big hole. Can't do that again this week, but I think if if, if they can keep this game close through the first, withstand that early KD barrage and keep this game you know, within a touchdown or so at the half, I think the second half gets really interesting in this ball game. And I think it's a fascinating matchup, and I'm really, you know, more than likely this is probably going to be the Thursday night game that I'm keeping my eye on here from Canada. I I entirely agree. I think this game is is potentially very interesting. Um. Potentially interesting, but a, a lot of it begins. I like tell me what the score is in the first quarter. You know what I mean? Tell me the first because yeah. if Katie runs out twenty-one nothing, it's like okay, you can flip it off because they're gonna they're, they're gonna much, choke yeah. him to death. So yeah. top anyway. twenty-five matchup, yeah, num- number three uh, in six A, Katie versus number seventeen in six A in Tompkins. So really good uh, Thursday night matchup here. Yeah, a, a, a real a quality. Lot of eyes on it. Yeah, exactly. I am very interested in that. So that is my first pick. What is your second pick, Matthew? Uh, I'm going to go to what may be my Friday night game that I'm going to be watching uh, from Canada. Uh, Friday night at Memorial Stadium in Wichita Falls as 3-0 mm. Lubbock Coronado visits 3-0 Wichita Falls Rider and uh, a really good 5A Division One matchup versus Division Two matchup. And I believe, Tepper, both of these teams are ranked 
in the top ten in their respective that divisions in class. Sounds 5A. right. Let me confirm Let's as the guy out. who is in charge of that. Yes, we have Lubbock Coronado at number eight, and we have Wichita Falls Ryder at number four. In really good in, matchup. In, yeah, that's a solid solid matchup yeah. here. And uh, you know the the quarterbacks of the headliners in these two games, um, both both Division One commits. As you've got uh, Sawyer Robertson for Lubbock Coronado, who is committed to Mississippi State. I wonder uh, if there's a Mike Leach connection there, probably from his time in Lubbock. And, uh, you know, one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the state, in my opinion, uh, Wichita Falls Ryder quarterback, Jacob Rodriguez, who has committed to Virginia. And that's that's a, you know, Virginia doesn't really come into Virginia Tech is more comes into yeah. Texas and pulls Texas kids more than uh, the new VA. So um, two big time quarterbacks here and two, and two big time teams. The, the, the interesting thing about Lubbock Coronado um, is traditionally this has been a team that's been that's made their money on the offensive side of the ball. They've got mm-hmm. they they haven't really been known as a defensive team. Now, granted, their offense is really good this year. Sawyer Robertson threw five touchdown passes last week. They blew out Odessa High uh, forty nine to nothing. Um, but that nothing is a bigger bigger thing to me than the forty nine points that that Coronado scored. This is a team mm-hmm. through three games that's allowed just fourteen points. And yeah, I think that if you get Coronado, if you get Seth Parr's squad playing that kind of defense on a consistent basis, you've got a team that's a real problem out in West Texas. Um, but they're going to get their, they're, they're going to get a test this week because Ryder's offense is, 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 is their equal, I think, because Jacob Rodriguez and, and, and that attack, that Ryder attack, uh, they, they can do some damage. And uh, last week, you know, they, Ryder had a weird week last week. So they were originally scheduled to play Midlothian on Thursday night in Midlothian. And then on Wednesday, the game got canceled. Um, they scrambled and were able to play uh, inner city rival Hershey, a class 4A program. They were able to schedule a game with Hershey on Friday night at Memorial Stadium on basically a day's notice. Because Hershey was supposed to play a district game against Burke Burnett, and that got postponed to November the 6th because their district built in a COVID bye week uh, at the end of the season. So they they played Hershey on short notice, and you know they beat Hershey 48-10. to 10. You expect a really good 5A team to do that. Um, Riders defense forced nine turnovers and, you know, yeah. you're not going to win many games turning the football over nine times. Now, the big question is, is Rodriguez threw, threw two touchdown passes in the first half before, um, he left the game with an injury. Um, I think he's going to play this week. I'm talking to Mark Mendel. Um, he, he said that, you know, Rodriguez could have come back into the game last Friday, but the game was well in hand. There was no need to risk it. So he's going to, I'm going to imagine he's going to start against Coronado, but I think it's something to watch because, he's probably not going to be at a hundred percent. And if he takes a hit in the wrong way, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, that could be damaging to, to Ryder and their host. Cause really, you know, Rodriguez is the straw that stirs this drink. No doubt about it. Absolutely. And, and, and that is, I think an interesting part of this game is you've got two coaches in this one in Seth Parr and Mark Bendel, who I would call innovative. I would call them guys who think about football in in interesting ways. And I think that they look at this game and they recognize that this is potentially a signature win, but also, you know, I don't think they're going to empty the playbook in this game. You know what I mean? That's, what's going to be interesting is, is how much knowing full well, is this their last non-district game or do they have one more? Uh, it is Coronado's last non-district game. Coronado's I last district Ryder, game. I'll check their schedule now. I believe Ryder has, because Ryder's in a 16 district. So I believe, yeah, they have one more non-district game, and we will confirm. 
Actually, no. They, they only play in yeah. nine, a nine-game schedule. So they start district play next uh, next so week. Gets switched off it's also. a non-district finale that I think some coaches might say, okay, like let's just go out there, play a game, even if we lose, it's okay. But these guys, I think especially, I think that they value going into your district play hot. And especially, I think you're going to, I think you're going to see these guys go out there and, and, and like put their best foot forward. You know what I mean? And, and you're exactly right that the, the quarterback matchup here is going to take center stage, but the defense is what's going to be a lot more interesting to me because this Coronado defense, you're right. I think, I think it has gone, it has been overshadowed. It has been overshadowed for obvious reasons. You know, it's been overshadowed yeah. because when you've got a quarterback like Robertson, he's going to overshadow a lot of a lot of things. So, yeah. uh, real interesting matchup. This one's in Wichita Falls, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a pick'em mm. game in our computer poll as well. I mean, I mean, our our computer I, poll has it as a pick'em game. So it's it's a really I, I buy that. fascinating, great measuring stick game for both of these programs heading into district play. I think you're right. That's a great pick. All right, Matthew, I am going to go. To Indian Stadium in Taylor County, Jim Ned Consolidated ISD in Tuscola, as the Jim Ned Indians welcome in Wall in a game that makes you that that the only question is, uh, hey, so what do we really know about Wall? That's kind of the question for me in this game. If you look up and down Wall's season, Wall's schedule, right? Mm-hmm. They have um, two losses on the year, both to pretty good, both be- between pretty good and excellent private school teams. They lost to San Antonio Cornerstone um, in who is kind of a San Antonio area all-star team, and they lost to Midland Christian, who is a pretty good, a perennial contender uh, in in the TAPS ranks. Yeah. Okay, Division, Midland Christian plays in that TAPS district, yeah. with like Nolan and Prestonwood. Right. I mean, some real private school heavy hitters. So then they also have a season-opening win over Eastland. Okay, but if you remember back, that's when Eastland was without Baron Morton. They were without, I think, like nine starters from yeah, that year. They were, they were, they were definitely hampered. Yeah. They go and they beat Cisco, a, a good win over over a good Cisco team. But remember, that's a three A over a, a 2A. Mm-hmm. So, okay. two A. So okay, difference. And then they go and they 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 crush Mason. That a Mason, I don't think anybody will contend is as good as they've been in past years. And furthermore, there's you know there's uh, you know they, they, and also they're three and four and they're a two A team. So I think there's a real argument to be made that Wall simultaneously has no super impressive wins and no really bad losses. You know, like yeah, when you look, take a look at their schedule. It's really hard to get a gauge on how good this wall team. We, yeah. Clearly we think this is a good team, but I yes. don't think we really know how good this team is because their wins all kind of have, you know, an asterisk by it or, or just yeah. a win that over a team that's not in their weight class. Right. Now, so, we do, I think we have a better idea of what Ballinger is. I'm sorry, not Ballinger, t- uh, Jim Ned. They lost their week, week one game to, to Ballinger. Ballinger, that's turned out to be a pretty decent loss. The solid team. Uh, but then they have, I would say, a signature win uh, when they beat Hallettsville. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a signature win. Now, they go at it for what is almost certainly the District 3-3A Division One 
title game. Yeah, like, I, I, almost, they, it'll be stunned if it wasn't. These two are, are to me, head and shoulders above the field. Clyde yeah. is a good team, um, but they're probably clearly a, a, yeah. on a different level. You know, I, I think they're they're a notch, a step. They're they're on a different plane. These two are yeah. a, a step ahead of, of the other other te- other four teams. And you've got you've got Wall. They're going to run uh, that. Um, Flex bone offense, and they are—they're giving it to everybody. I mean, they are—they are moving. They're handing the ball around to pretty much anybody at will, and the offense is really humming. Defense really took a step forward against a, an overmatched San Angelo TLC team. Um, you know, they've got the defense. I think has really stepped up in a big way, and Drew with, uh, with Drew Morrison and with with Bryson Ballard. Uh, now going up against this Jim Ned team that last week against early was exceptionally good. I think their quarterback, Tate Yardley, is taking a nice step forward. Uh, Craig Way is crazy about the Xavier Wishart kid. Loves him. Thinks he's a superstar, and I tend to agree. That is what is interesting to me is I think this is this is a – even though this is going to be Wall's seventh game of the season, I think this is a – played this many games. Yeah, it, it is. I think this is going to be a real measuring stick for them. Uh, and it comes in a really in- integral way. Because the other thing, here's the other thing about this. If you look at Region 1, let's zoom out. 3A Division 1, Region 1. Okay, let's do, do Do I have your agreement that Brock is, is probably the team to beat in Region 1? You have my agreement there, yes. Okay. Okay. Who's, the, who's next up? Like... There's not really that bona fide team. Maybe it's Shallow Water, if you buy in on what Shallow Water is selling. Maybe it's a team like Bushland. But more, maybe it's a team within Brock's own district. But more than likely, in my opinion, it's the winner of this game. Yes. And I, and I, I think, think that's game, where I'm at on it. I think this game comes down to, to Jim Ned's ability up front. You know, Clearly, Wall um, is going to have the edge in the trenches up front on both yes. sides of the ball. Jim Ned has the edge, the skill spots, you know, just, just the makeup of their team. But if Jim Ned's up front can just not just get mauled by Wall in this game, mm-hmm. I think they have a chance to pull the upset because I don't think Wall is going to their defense is going to be able to, especially when Jim Ned gets in space and spreads the field, and that's where Wall yeah. may may run into some trouble. But they can't just get dominated at the point of attack where Wall is going on these seven eight minute drives and just kind of taking the will away from Jim Ned. So. I mean, that's the matchup to watch, is especially the defensive line of Jim Ned going against that big wall offensive line led by a Baylor commit. Yeah, they they got to get him off the field. Like third down, like get him behind the chains, get him on third and eight, and then get him off the field. That's the yeah. big thing for uh, for for Jim. Ned. I think it's a great game. I think being at home is going to help. I think I lean a little bit towards wall, but I am yeah. very interested in this one. Definitely, so the commodity there. I agree. All right, what is your third pick, Matthew? A great week in the small school ranks, and we're, we're going to stay small school. Um, we're going out to the Permian Basin as 7-0 Wink visits 4-1 McKamey in the district opener for McKamey. Uh, Wink uh, opened up district play last week with a 37-14 win over Seagraves. And this game's got a lot of storylines. You know, the, These two teams uh, pretty much from the beginning have been pegged to win the district title. They're old mm-hmm. rivals. They've been playing for a long time. And there's there's some off the field stuff as well because if you remember, uh, Greg, remember in in the summer, um, we found out that McKinney, um picked up a couple of transfers and they were actually from Wink, um, mm-hmm. in the Rosas brothers. And so I, I think there's a p- potentially a little bit of bad blood here between these two teams. I, I think I don't think there's a lot of love loss. So 
Um, this is going to be a fun game uh, to see how the each team handles the emotions of this ball game because it's such a big game. There's also a lot of um, a little bit of animosity, which is sometimes a, a fun game, fun thing for for guys like us to see. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Wink. I think Wink has really quietly put together. You know, last year they they were a real surprise team in the playoffs and made that run all the way to the regional finals. And they've kept that up this year um, with that with that seven and zero start. And I think Brian Gibson's squad brings brings a great mix of of size in the in the trenches, great skill position players, and and then um, they've got the coach's kids. You know, Gibson's two sons are kind of key players for them, so they bring that coach in the field mentality. And uh, in, in essence, uh, Wink last week put the game away, uh, thirty seven mm-hmm. points in the first half. Um, the game was over with at halftime. You know, they, they put their backups in because they knew that coming into this week's game, they were going to have to have all hands on deck. So they, they beat Seagraves 37 to 14. But I think if that game could have been, you know, you look at the score and you're like, oh man, Wink only won. Wink was kind of unimpressive. No, it was 37 to nothing in the second quarter when Wink kind of got all their guys out of the game. Um, so you've got that going on. And then you got McKamey, um, you know, who had two games in a row canceled due to their, their opponents having issues with COVID-19 and we, we scrambled to find McKamey games uh, the last two weeks um, of non-district and they had the buy last week. So they're in a five team district. So McKamey had the uh, initial buy uh, coming in, but, but McKamey in their last outing, you know, 40 to 12 went over what was an unbeaten Petrolia team and Ivan Rubio and the, and the, you know, threw for put up massive numbers in the win. And he's got, I think four or five different receivers that he can go to at any moment. So McKamey's got a lot of weapons here. I, I think the key in this game is going to be up front. And I think that's where Wink um, has the big edge over McKamey. McKamey's a bit of a small team in the trenches. And I think that's where Wink uh, really has an edge. I think Wink's front seven, especially on the defensive side of the ball, they're going to try to get after Rubio, make him get rid of the ball early. And I think that's where Wink has the big advantage in this ball game. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think, you know, one thing I think is interesting is if this game gets chippy, you know, Wink is a little bit more reliant on youngsters. They're a little bit more reliant on youngsters. And so if this game gets emotional, right? If this game, you hate to like project that out as a, as a, as uh, we know, wait, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Something that's, uh, you know, an intangible. That's what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's an intangible, like McCamey's the more senior laden squad. You know what I mean? Like for they're sure. the team Absolutely. that's going to, and so if this game gets gets in, gets chippy, if this game gets interesting, does that have an effect on this game? So uh, I think that's a great pick. And and with the added elements of uh, love when two teams maybe, maybe don't like each other. All right. I am going to stay in the small school ranks. And with all due respect to our friends at Schulenburg, let's talk about Shiner for the last time before the playoffs. It is the Ganado Indians taking on the Shiner Comanches. Uh, they're in beautiful Shiner, Texas. And yeah, look, um, Shiner's doing what Shiner's doing. They're just kind of mowing people down. They're six and oh, they got two games left. Uh, and, and, you know, this is, I think people are looking, going to look at their, their schedule and be like, wait a second. What? Like, uh, they got, they got two games. Looks like, yeah, they got Ganado this week bye week at Schulenburg. And then another bye week in the playoffs because they 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 want to build in some some contingencies. Yeah, the district built in some bye weeks, and I don't think Shiner um, has is super interested in finding games to fill the schedule because they played such a tough non-district schedule. I think Daniel Bodecker knows exactly where this team stands right now. I think that's exactly right. So uh, Shiner's been doing what Shiner's been doing. They just pummeled Weimer last week, uh, fifty-seven to fourteen. Duck Brooks has been great. Uh, They are just. 
Yeah. You know, Brooks, crushing Dalton, people Brooks, right now. It's just, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's 43-point win, no big deal. Yes, exactly. By the way, uh, they were 42-point favorites by the computer, and they won by 43. So uh, thank you, Shiner, for making our computer look smart. Going up against a game in a game that I think we had circled before the season mm-hmm. um, with Ganado, uh, a Ganado team that we thought we had really high hopes for coming into the season. Dropping from 3A, had, had a great exactly. year last year as well. And I think that there is, I think there have been a lot of people who have maybe forgotten about Ganado. And I kind of get it, okay? They started off 0-3, okay? And, you know, I think there's a couple of those losses. I think the loss to Hallettsville and especially in the loss to Vanderbilt Industrial, I think those are pretty forgivable. Um, But they have gotten, they have gotten right. Like, they have gotten right. They've figured things out. And I think what happened is that I, and I don't know what's been going on, but I think they turned to, uh, I think they figured out that this Kyle Burris Guerrero, like, let's just build the entire plane out of him. And he's been cooking. Let's just hook our hook our wagon to him and, and see how how far he can take us. And, and yes, you know that was a big win. That's a good Schulenberg team they beat last mm-hmm. week. That's a really good Shorthorns team. Um, you know Walter Brock's gone into Schulenberg and done a fantastic job getting that program turned around. So it's, that's a solid win for Ganado. Yes, and, and so Ganado's playing a lot better than they were at the beginning of the year. If you if you paid if you've stopped paying attention to the Indians because they started off zero three, now's the time to start paying attention to them. This will be Shiner's last challenge, in my opinion. Schulenberg, I still think is a good team. I think they can they can they can give them some trouble. But I think as far as a, a legit challenge, I think this is probably the last one for Shiner before we get to the playoffs. Um, it's a l- interesting last measuring stick for them because I'll be honest: if they go out there and they if, if they shut them down, if they just pummel Ganado and just like if they treat them like they treated Weimer last week, then it's like. Okay, we'll see you in the regional final. You know what I mean? Like, well, or whenever they see, whenever they're supposed to see Refurio, whether that's the regional semifinal or regional final, wherever it is, uh, I still think that's going to be the case. My question is going to be: This Ganado defense has been very good uh, lately, very, very good lately, and they've been able to stop powerful rushing attacks. So, how do they match up against the Shiner rushing attack? If if Shiner's able to run all over them, then like we know exactly what Shiner is. If not, and Shiner struggles, then we maybe have a little bit better of an idea of what to expect from them going forward. So I like this game a lot. To be clear, I think Shiner's your favorite in this one. Absolutely. But I, w- I want to see how Ganado reacts to it. And more importantly, I want to see how Ganado, or rather, I want to see how Shiner uh, goes out there in what could be the last time we're talking about them before, you know, before Thanksgiving. So, so the only team that stopped Shiner this year really is Shiner. And that was in that East Bernard yeah. game when they had, I think, the rash of turnovers. And they still found a way to win the game. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think Shiner's on a different level right now. And I think I think we get a little bit of a statement game from the Comanches in this ballgame. I, I, th- this this team, to me, is a clear number one in 2A Division One. They've shown I think there's, we're just going to get another, uh, another data point uh, to validate that going into this game. That would not surprise me. All right, what is your fourth pick, Matthew? So I'm going to go to a non-district game that was set up late last week as a couple of teams had some issues, obviously, with, with COVID cancellations. And so they just said, hey, why don't we play each other this week as the 1-0 Cedar Hill Longhorns visit the 2-0 Alito Bearcats. And, boy, Alito uh, d- didn't schedule light on homecoming, bringing in the, uh, <laughs> the Cedar Hill Longhorns from Class 6A in this ballgame. Um, 
I still think we've got a little bit to learn about Cedar Hill. They they played two weeks ago against a really good Arlington High team, a team that's ranked in our top 25. And the offense got off to a slow start, and they, they found a way to get a 28-21 win. Um, you know, Caden Salter is kind of the guy who really makes, makes this thing go. The Tennessee commit, um, two touchdowns, 248 yards of offense. Um, but I think that the defense for Cedar Hill – um, which is which struggled at times last year. You look, you look at Cedar Hill's mm-hmm. record last year. They they had to get into some shootouts to win some ball games. I, I think you know Coach Lynn told me this offseason he thought the defense would be a lot better, and they showed it in that first outing, uh, holding Arlington to twenty one points, including just a single touchdown in the second half. So this is Cedar Hill team that that's got it got the got the pieces in a really tough district to to be a real contender. Um, but this is a tough road test going across the Metroplex, going to Alito to play the Bearcats. Um, Alito had the week off last week that was their scheduled by, um, this was actually supposed to be their week of their district opener, but Waco university, um, had issues with COVID. So they had to cancel for two weeks. So they're, they're now playing Waco university on November the 6th. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an Alito team. that's a little bit banged up. You know, they, they blew out Weatherford in the season opener and I was at that game and you could tell that Alito was still trying to find themselves. They had that sophomore quarterback, um, who, who's very talented, but again, he's just a sophomore. Um, and he's got a lot of expectations on him because of the pedigree that this Alito program has. Um, I think the big thing that to watch for Alito is is the running game. Um, you know, they you know Jace McClellan is is at Alabama now, and they brought they they moved Demarco Roberts, who was their star corner, to the offensive side of the ball. And Demarco um, is a smaller running back. He's 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 a small and quick back, but he's not that hammer uh, that McClellan was. Um, he had a good first half last week, 130 yards and three touchdowns, but then he got hurt. He's, again, a smaller kid, and so he, he wasn't able to withstand the pounding. So the Alito had to move uh, JoJo Earl, the LSU commit, uh, basically to running back in the second half. JoJo had 20 carries last week uh, in, in, in that win over Frisco Lone Star. And JoJo Earl's not a really big kid either. So if Alito continues to have to put their smaller receiver-type kids at running back just to make the offense go, I don't know if they can withstand the full season. Um, that's a yeah. lot to ask of those because, you know, they're, they're not 200 plus pounds like Jason McClellan was. So Alito excels when Jojo Earl is in the slot uh, matched up against linebackers and safeties, not at running back. He's still a, he's a good enough player where he'll make plays at running back. But Alito is not at their best when Earl is having to play there. So I'll be very interested to see what Alito does in the running game to try to put Jojo Earl back at, at his more natural position at receiver. Now, what Alito is really good at is that front seven. They've got an yeah. elite front seven with two or three Division One players, and then the secondary with BJ Allen and it's uh, the, the the other LSU commit uh, playing safety. But they're going to be tested by that Cedar Hill receiving core because Cedar Hill can put four Division One type receivers out there on the field at one time and can really really stress the defense out. So um, I think this is going to be a high scoring game. I think there's going to be a lot of points. I give Cedar Hill the edge because of their depth. Um, I think mm-hmm. you may see a similar game to the Alito Geyer season opener that we saw last year, where Geyer. Uh, beat Alito in a shootout. I think you could see a very similar type game in this ballgame. Yeah, I think that one thing I'm going to have my eye on is is how Cedar Hill starts. Uh, I know that they came out, uh, especially off- offensively against Arlington, they came out flat. Yeah. They they came out and they they couldn't, it wasn't until basically after halftime that they were able to put their foot on the gas and get the thing going. Um, they can't do that against Alito. Like, they, like if they do that, they're going to be in, in bigger trouble. So, I am very interested in this game, but I think you're right. I think that the depth, this is like, we always talk about how I think that the the difference between 6A and 5A is probably a little bit overstated, but 
the depth difference here, especially for an Alito team that is now relying on a number of players who are playing, I don't want to say out of position because Jojo Earl makes, makes it look easy regardless of where he is, but playing maybe not in their most natural position, that's a challenge. That's a challenge that Cedar Hill simply doesn't have. Cedar Hill can just go out there and they've got that depth advantage. And I wonder if this game gets, if this game is close late, I think that that's going to be the advantage for Cedar Hill, especially early in the season. So that's an excellent pick for your fourth pick. My fourth pick, I am going to go. I feel like we have talked about this stadium a lot uh, this season. And I think part of it is because they, they host a lot of uh, neutral site games, but let's go to Hawk stadium in Iowa park as the Iowa Park Hawks will host the Graham Steers in the... Let me, let me make sure I'm not speaking out of turn. Oh, no. Definitely the district title game. Sorry. I was <laughs> yeah, looking at that. I was like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to make sure I wasn't forgetting somebody. That, that inter- There's another interesting game in that district with Vernon and Mount Mineral Wells that's probably for playoff positioning, you know, depending on how Bridgeport finishes out. But, um, yes. That, but this is for the District 3, 4A, Division 2 title. And both these teams enter with, uh, with you know, one loss on the year. And for Graham, Graham is a squad that I, I really like um, this quarterback, Hunter Lanham, and I've liked him for a while. Uh, and I think that he's starting to kind of stretch out. I think he's starting to really look really solid offensively and taking looking at like a guy who's taken that step forward. They're able to run the ball with Daniel Gilbertson as well. Um and last week uh they really kind of overmatched Mineral Wells um and just and with their with their defense and just, oh, I'm sorry not Mineral Wells but Bridgeport. They just overmatched them and and held them down. You've also got another quarterback that I've been pretty crazy about all year long in Kirby Kohili on the Iowa Park side. And I like this kid a lot. I, I, I think that this kid is, is, is a star, and I think that he's the kind of guy that if he were at a bigger school, we'd be talking about him a little bit more, plain and simple. And this is, if you take a look at Iowa Park, you know, their, their loss on the year is to Brock, but they also have that. a win. Yeah, uh, but they also have a win over Canadian, which is impressive in their own right. Um, this is a team who... In a lot of ways, they go as the defense goes. Um, that I think they are capable of outscoring people, but in a lot of ways, I think what they did last week, where they hold them down to 14 points, 42 14 is about what they want to play. They want to outscore you, but more importantly, like they want their defense to do its part. I think Graham's probably got the superior defense here in this one. I think what they've shown this year that even like their loss to Springtown like was a real hard hitting low scoring affair, um, and then but they their defense has been pretty consistently excellent. That's what's going to be interesting for for Iowa Park, who has been a second half team this year. Can they kind of crack the code on this Graham defense? If can they find a way to get to 20, 35 points? Can they find a way to get to thirty five points against this? Which would be, by the way, the most that Graham has given up this year. That's the big question for me is can Kirby Kohili and can this Iowa Park, uh, this Iowa Park team, uh, can coach Aubrey Sims find a way to crack the Graham defensive code? That's a big question for me. And by the way, to go back to a a kind of topic of conversation we had when we were dealing with, uh, when we were talking about uh, uh, Jim then wall, take a look at four, a division two region one and tell me who's it going to be. 
Because, I mean, now I think it's fair to say now that especially with Aubrey's win over Salina, um, I think it's fair to say that, like, you know, maybe Lubbock Estacado figures it out. Maybe. Uh, maybe it's, Sweetwater is better than we think. Yeah, it's maybe. pretty wide open. I mean, before the season started doing our preview show, we just we thought it was a it was basically just, you know, fait accompli that 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 it was Salina's, Salina. it was Salina's region to win. And now yeah. Salina is not even going to win their own re- district. So. No. I think the race in 4A Region 1 Division 2 has been – the door has been flung wide open, and I think the winner of this game uh, really gets the inside track to not only yeah. a, a favorite but also a, a much better playoff draw. Yes, I think that's because exactly right. you would avoid so, the 4-4A champion um, until the mm-hmm. regional final of the bracket, if I remember the bracket correctly. I think that's I think that's correct. And so that's, what, that's why I'm really interested in this game. A district title is on the line, and – this would be a real, you know, Iowa Park's already had a great year. This would be a pretty signature win. Uh, because if you want to say, oh, well, you know, Iowa Park beat Canadian, but that's a 4A over 3A. Okay, fine, I guess. But, I mean, Canadian's Canadian. Um, this would be, I think, there would be no doubt that Iowa Park would grab that. Iowa Park, really, or Graham, uh, would grab that those reins as, like, we're the team to beat now in region in Region 1. Um, and so a lot on the line on this one. I'm very interested in this one on Friday night there in uh, Iowa Park. What is your fifth and final pick, Matthew? It's, there's there's so many good small school games like Carthage and Jasper. I feel bad about about not picking that one. Yeah, I know. We have the top ten for a Division two matchup, but I'm I'm going to stick with the small school theme here, and I'm going to go out to Comanche, where mm. a team that I saw last week, um, Eastland. At three and three and one and zero, oh, takes on unbeaten six and zero oh Comanche in one of these classic. Con- you know, we talked about Corpus Christi Miller and Corpus Christi Cal Allen being a contrast of styles on the offensive side of the ball. This game is a contrast of styles with a really powerful offense going against one of the best defenses in the state. Um, the Eastland Mavericks, um, since they've gotten everybody healthy and, and back in the fold, their offense has scored seventy eight, ninety one, and fifty points the last three weeks of the season. Um, oh, okay. During the three three game winning streak, going against a Comanche defense that has allowed a total of thirty three points in six games, so that's a little bit over five points per game average, and that's pretty hmm. good. I mean, you're you're going to win yeah. a lot of football games if you're only allowing five points per game. So, it's it's the classic adage: something's got to give in this ball game. Um, I saw Eastland last week in a fifty to twenty three win over Millsap. That's that's a good Millsap team that Eastland played. They were four and one going into that ball game. And Eastland, for the first time, I think in the second half, their defense found found something that worked because they shut Millsap down in the second half, forced a couple of turnovers, got a pick six in the fourth quarter to kind of put the game away, and and really gave you know because Eastland's offense, even though they scored fifty points, didn't really hit them all cylinders. They left talking to James Morton after the game. You know they feel like they left some points on the field in that ball game, but when you've got at that level a Division One quarterback in Baron Morton. And a 220-pound athletic running back uh, named Brandon Fielding, you're you're gonna you're gonna do some damage. I mean, Fielding at, at his size at that level with his athleticism can really be a game changer for Eastland if he gets going downhill. Mm-hmm. The key for Eastland is their defensive line. They're not very big, and they've 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 got to they have to scheme a little bit to to make things happen because they can get overpowered at the point of attack. And I think that's where Comanche. Um, their big offensive line is going to try to control the clock and keep Eastland off the field and, and use that, that use the clock to their advantage. Um, so, you know, you look at Comanche, they're, they're not real flashy offensively, 
but with that big offensive line and that matchup, I think they can they can do some damage against Eastland. The the key here for me though is I think Eastland's found something, and if Eastland can jump out in the first quarter and put a couple of good drives together and get that up tempo offense going, I think they're going to get Comanche frustrated because Comanche hasn't faced really any adversity all year. Or I think this Eastland team, because of what they've gone through with the disciplinary issues and having some kids out due to COVID, I, I, I think that this is an Eastland team that can handle that. And, and I'm, I'm interested to see what Comanche does when faced with a little bit of adversity. Yeah, I think that that's, uh, I, I think that you're exactly right. And, uh, you know, Comanche has, has kind of, they've, uh, look, they've earned their way here. So I don't want to, I don't want to crap on them, but I think that they have in many respects, um, I want to see, like, they got pushed against Cisco, right? But I want to see them get pushed here. Like, I want to see them go up against a team that can, especially from an offensive perspective, right? Uh, I don't think, with respect to Cisco, right, I don't think they've played a team that can really challenge them, like, challenge their defense. Um, Here is a chance to challenge their defense, because Eastland's offense is crazy right now it's, it's as good it's, as it's, any in the state at any classification yes it's hitting it. on all cylinders so yeah i'm i'm very interested in this one and uh yeah you what you gotta presume i mean jacksboro is gonna be in the mix too but i think that this is probably my pick at least for the district championship jacksboro will have something to say but uh yeah that's uh that's a good good pick all right i'm gonna take the i'm gonna take the I'm gonna take Carthage and Jasper. I'm not gonna I mean it's okay. I mean, hey, Still on the board. <laughs> why not, right? Um yeah. So this is uh if you're paying attention at home, this is number one versus number four in uh 4A Division Two. And I think that one of the reasons that it kind of falls behind, falls back, is that Carthage has been so dominant. And Carthage has looked every bit the part of like uh like don't worry about them. They're just gonna keep mowing down people and you don't need to think twice about it. And and in a, to a certain extent, that's true. And I think that was proved last week with what they did to center. Yeah, that just they just—I mean, centers centers a good ball club. I want to be—I want to be very clear about this. Yeah. That's a top, I, you know, it's a top ten, top fifteen type team. I think centers a really good team, and Carthage beat them fifty-six to fourteen. Like, but just I mean, blew their doors off. You look at what Carthage has done the last three weeks. You know, they they opened the season. And that Kilgore win has aged pretty well because Kilgore in Division yeah. One is a top twenty type team, and then they they had those three weeks off due to the um, the two bye weeks and their game against uh, Little Cypress mm-hmm. getting canceled due to the hurricane. And in the last three weeks, they 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 just haven't missed a beat. In fact, they've been better the last three weeks they, with the dominance they've exhibited over Pleasant Grove, Gilmer, and, and Center. It's it's been. I mean, what else can you beaten. say about Scott Stratt squad? At present, at present, when you take a look at the Dave Campbell's Texas football rankings, they have a win um, on the road by 28 over the number three team. They have a win on the road by 28 over the number seven team. And then center, they might, were they ranked last week? They might have been ranked last ranked week. Tenth. They were ranked 10th. Yeah, last they were 10th. So they had what was last week's number 10th uh, 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 ranked team, and they beat them by 42. Um, now they go on the road and they take on our number four team in Jasper and Jasper. Um, the one thing, let's look, Jasper's got this one neat trick. Okay. They, they do a lot of things. Well, I, I don't mean to be dismissive, but they have this one neat trick and that is they can turn around and they can hand the ball to Carl Limbrick and Carl Limbrick is a monster. Yes, he is. He's 
awesome. <laughs> okay. Carl Lindbrick's gonna he he's almost he's already over the thousand yard mark. He's got 16 touchdowns on the year. He has been a stud. But when they've needed to throw, which is not often, but when they've needed to throw, um, their quarterback, Trayshawn Adams, has been effective. He's been pretty effective going over the top. The question is going to be with every game that uh, that they that that Carthage plays is who can slow down Kai Horton and Mason Courtney and this offense. Um, and right now, like Jasper's defense is solid; they're pretty good. But I don't yeah. know if anybody would necessarily mistake them for a world beater. And I feel like it's going to take a world beating type defense to to slow down what Carthage is doing right now. And I don't think Jasper's offense, you know, Limbrick is known for breaking big, long runs. And so I don't think they're mm-hmm. the type of offense that's going to just keep Carthage's offense off the field. You know, Pleasant Grove, to no. a, in the first half, that's why that game was 14-7 to going into the halftime, because Pleasant Grove had a, a nine-minute drive and I think a six-minute drive and really held on mm-hmm. the ball for, for a long time. Jasper's offense is more big-play-oriented. Big play so you know, I think the best defense well, against Carthage's offense is keeping them off the field. Another reason to talk about this game is that this is probably the last time we're going to talk about them for a while. Because um, if you take a look, the rest of their schedule, uh, Rusk, Madisonville, uh, Shepard, uh, the computer has them uh, favored by 53, 65, and 82 in those games. Um, yeah. Yes, Jasper's still a center. Here's the next, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the next time we're going to talk about Carthage. I'll promise you. Here it is. It's the area round of the playoffs because right now we project it would be Carthage and Silsby. And that's a little interesting, right? That's a little interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the next time yeah, we're going to talk about them. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, second round game. So take six weeks off of thinking about Carthage after this week, but Carthage and Jasper certainly a game to keep an eye on. I want to see if Jasper can, the key for me, I mean, the key, you're exactly right. Car, like Jasper's a home run hitting team. Uh, they're a running team, but they're a home run hitting team. Can they sustain long drives, kind of do what Pleasant Grove did a little bit, at least in their first drive against Carthage, but then they have to find a way to slow them down defensively. I just, I don't know. I to me, I just think Carthage is so head and shoulders above 4A Division Two that unless I, I'd love to be proven wrong in this game, but I just don't see that happening. So um, I, I like Carthage in this one. Uh, surprise, surprise. Um, okay, so that is our draft. Step took Cal Allen and Corpus Christi Miller. Love Coronado and Wichita Falls Rider. Wink McCamey, Cedar Hill Alito, and Comanche Eastland. I took Katie, Katie Tompkins, Wall, Jim Ned, Ganado, Shiner, Graham, Iowa Park, and Carthage and Jasper. And now Matt Step. It is time for your hipster game of the week that I think I already spoiled. Yeah, since you stole my first hipster game, I had to scramble and find another one. Ooh, but I, but I, I made you scramble. But I found one. Uh, okay. and it's going to be a district that's very close to my heart, as it, it's, it is home to the uh, Everman Bulldogs. But it is not an you Everman walk? game. No, oh. it's not an Everman game, but it's a district game. Uh, as the surprisingly 3-0 and Cleveland Yellow Jackets take on the Mansfield Timberview Wolves, who are 2-0, and on Friday night at beautiful Vernon Newsom Stadium there in Mansfield. Uh, mm. This is a game, you know, 5-5A Division II, because of the uh, uh, COVID protocols, split into two four-team zones. And so what they're doing is they're playing the, the, the round robin versus the three other teams in their zone, and then in week four, playing a crossover game against the other zone to um, determine potential playoff seeding. Um, and then they're going to try to play the last three weeks out, but they have that flexibility in case teams have to cancel. So this is a really big game um, in this zone because um, 
you know, this is the Eastern zone. So the, the winner of this game really gets a leg up on the top seed in the zone to potentially play a, what we all assume will be Alito uh, from the West zone. I think these are the two, the two best teams in the East zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cleburne with Cleo Chandler has really been kind of a revelation this year because no one really expected much out of Casey Wolverine's squad. But they're going up against a Mansfield Timberview team that 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 you know this is a they have six A type talent in the five A Division two level. And they they went to Flower Mound last week and beat what is a good Flower Mound team eighteen mm-hmm. to thirteen. I think that was a game that Pickle was at uh, Friday mm-hmm. night. So um, uh, Cleveland's going to have to find a way to contain the, the the overall team speed of Mansfield Timberview, and that's a real challenge because Timberview really brings uh, some matchup problems for Cleveland in this game. But I think it's a really interesting game, and the winner of this game, I think takes the East zone, uh, quote unquote title. I like it. Um, that's an interesting pick. Uh, yeah. And I was impressed by Timberview. I think that def- that defense is nasty, dude. That they defense play, is nasty. They play a really physical style and it's not dirty. They just play angry. They're just, you, you watch yeah. them and you're like, man, they just, they are just mad at the other team all the time. It doesn't matter what yeah, they, they do. Are. They just play a physical old school style. Yeah, I, I think that that's uh, that's an excellent uh, excellent choice there. All right, boy. Now I'm kind of going back and forth, and I want to pick a good hipster game, but I'm not sure where I want so you don't to have go. your hipster game after you stole mine. Man. Yeah, correct. I don't. Sorry, man. Um, all right. Well, here's the problem: is all right. I'm gonna say a game. And we may have to cut this. And if we don't cut it, then you know that I that I picked a good game. But uh, hey, Matt, uh, is uh, is New Waverly going to play Hemphill this week? Yes, on Saturday. Yes. Oh, perfectly. Yeah. Let's go. It's a so, District 12, 12 3 Division Two matchup. Here's the funny thing about that game. It's four thirty. New Waverly hasn't played their Week Seven game yet. Their Week Seven game against Newton is kicking off in an hour and a half. Yes. They played because they're playing um, tonight because they um was a Delta tropical storm Delta right. that came through. Yeah. Um some of the mm-hmm. some of the schools in southeast Texas were left without power over the weekend, so they're back playing finishing up their games today. So because they're playing on Monday, because of the UIL five day rule, they have to play um their next game on Saturday. So this game will be played on Saturday. It's a district twelve three A division two tilt on Saturday as it's the Newton district. But these are probably number two, number three in that district. Anderson Shiro might have something to say about it. But Hampill is off to a 5-0 and start, a roaring 5-0 and start after edging Anderson Shiro last week, 14-8. Um, their defense has been great the past couple of weeks. But the thing that, that stands out to me is that this is a, this is a Hampill squad that has uh, – They've, they've over the course of the past couple of weeks, the offense real the first they really started off hot. Uh, the offense that kind of multiple wing T offense. They got Draylon Washington, the outstanding running back. They've really grinded it out, and and the offense has been really good. New Waverly is off to a strange start, I think, in large part because of the the, the coronavirus. But um, this is a team that I think is kind of looking for that breakthrough. They were five and five last year. Uh, but this is a new Waverly team off to a three and one start. Uh, I think feeling pretty good about themselves now that they're back on the field. Their only loss in the year is to Norman G, who's that's a, a win that's yeah, it's a two A, but it's an undefeated two A team. Um, what I want to see 
is can this new Waverly defense, which has been very, very good, basically outside of that Norman G game, can they slow down this rushing attack for Hemphill? Uh, this is probably, as we kind of call it, like a semifinal for the uh, like the winner of this game will get a chance to take on Newton. Newton will probably be a favorite in that game, but they'll have a chance to take them on. At the very least, I think they'll be sitting pretty for second place in that district with the way that 12-3A Division Two has hung out. So... Uh, I won't take a Monday game, but I will take a Monday after a Saturday after a Monday game. I'm going to take go. New Waverly and Hemphill. Normally, this would be the time when I tell when I t- ask you what you're doing this weekend, but uh, I guess you're just going to be sitting around watching football like the rest of us schlubs. Yeah, so I think Thursday I'm going to watch. Uh, I'm probably going to start with Katie and Katie Tompkins uh, Thursday. Mm-hmm. I'll probably watch that game online, and then uh, I guess I'll eat whatever my wife cooks that night. So that'll be my. <laughs> That'll be my food uh, choice for Thursday night. And then uh, Friday night, uh, I'm going to start probably with uh, Wichita Falls Rider and Lubbock Coronado, but maybe switch over to Wink and McKamey, depending on how mm-hmm. the games go. And I think on Friday night, I think, I think I'll order out on Friday night. So whatever my hey. wife wants to eat on Friday night, we'll, uh, we'll order mm-hmm. on Friday night. So uh, Saturday is undetermined. Um, we'll see. I may watch a game Saturday night. I just got to check the schedule and see um, if we have a good game uh, to watch on Saturday night. So. Well, here's the thing. I would, I would run through the Fox games, but why? Like, so we were supposed box. to. So, for example, we were supposed to. That you may be like, hey, wait a second. I thought, what about Den Geyer and South Lake Carroll? You guys aren't gonna. Uh, yeah, if you haven't been on Twitter yet, that game has that game got canceled. So, uh, yeah. By the way, Sorry, other games we did not mention. Here are games we did not mention that are probably worth that we mentioned. North Shore and Manville. Mm-hmm. It's a big game. Uh, Midland Leo Dust Permian. Big rivalry that's game. A, that's another one I'm, I'm going to be watching on Friday night, I think. Uh, China Springs Salado. Big game. Mm-hmm. Big game down there. Uh, and then Carthage and Jasper. Uh, you know, Aubrey Grand and Sanger. Munster, uh, Munster, Munster Winthorpe is going to be fun. Yeah. Munster Winthorpe is going to be fun. Uh, uh, and then uh, Beaumont, Westbrook, and, Lo- and Longview. Although I did get a text message. Uh, there is a. Um, I won't shout that. I won't. I won't call them out by name. But there is a website uh, out there that that uh, does have high school football schedules, um, not ours. Uh, and they had for some reason they had Longview playing Westbrook, as in the six the six man team, the team that's off to a great start this year. To be clear, but Rick Renner texts me. He goes, "Hey man." Is Longview really playing a six-man team? <laughs> John like, King's decided to play six-man football. It's, <laughs> it's incredible. I would lo- look if you're going to play a six-man team. Westbrook is is very highly ranked. I want to say they're the number one team in our six-man in our one A Division one ranking. So look if you're going to if you if you're going to drop down a couple classifications, at least play the best they've got. Could you but, imagine John King being an old offensive lineman and, and his his penchant for offensive line play coaching in a six-man game? Oh my God! Just like the center is eligible, yeah, I think yeah, it would. He, I think it would hurt his brain. He would invent cuss words. <laughs> All right, we have gone on an hour and twenty-two minutes. That's too long. That's going to do it for us. Thanks for spending a little bit of your day with us. Please, if you like this podcast, please tell a friend uh, to become a Dave Campbell's Texas Football Insider. TexasFootball.com/slash subscribe. Uh, Step. Thanks for your courage. Thank you. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for uh, thanks to all the subscribers for uh, giving us all the support. We appreciate it. All right, we'll see you next week on Tab and Step.